Well, good morning once again. We are back in our sermon series from the book of 1 Peter. And as you are well aware, we have been taking this particular sermon series, as I have done any every sermon series that I've ever preached. We take it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So as a result of that, this morning we're in chapter 3 of the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning. Now, just as a reminder, there are three things that I always want us to keep in mind as we look at this particular sermon series from the book of 1 Peter. First of all, it's important that we realize that the book of 1 Peter is a letter. However, it differs somewhat from some other letters that we often refer to in the Bible. Many of the letters that we see throughout the Bible were written to a specific bunch of people at a specific church who had, let's just say, an address. It was written to people at a physical location. Well, the book of First Peter is, is, although it's a letter, it was a letter that we call a circulating letter, and it had to circulate from one Christian to another Christian, and it was written by Peter to the, the Christians who were located in the part of the world that we currently know as modern-day Turkey. Also, I want us to always keep in mind what the context of the book of First Peter is. As I said just a moment ago, it was written by Peter, and he wrote it to believers in Asia Minor, is what the slide says right now. But the portion of Asia Minor that we currently know as modern-day Turkey, and he wrote it somewhere between A.D. 60 and A.D. 60. The other thing that we see come up over and over again as we read through the book of First Peter is that there is definitely a, a recurring theme that we see over and over again. And that theme is that believers should follow the example of Jesus Christ and that we should do that by joyfully enduring persecution, by joyfully Enduring persecution. So with that in mind, I hope you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin with uh, verse 1 and continue through verse 12. And as I often ask you to do, if you, if you are physically able to stand, would you stand with us this morning to honor the reading of God's Word? Here's what God's Word says this morning. Likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and an humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. 
or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you so much, first of all, for bringing us here today. What, what a blessing, what a privilege that we enjoy to be able to come together and worship you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray that each time that we gather together, it will be for the purpose of bringing praise, honor, and glory to you and to you alone. Father, now I pray that during these next few minutes, what I pray, that you will hide me behind the cross. What I pray, that I will be proclaiming the cross before me, the world behind me. I pray that each of these people will proclaim the same thing. I pray that we will speak the name of Jesus each and every day of our lives. Lord, I pray that we will rely on the name of Jesus. I pray that we will rely on you each and every day of our lives. Father, I pray now you will just place your anointing on me for these next few minutes. Lord, may I point these people always, to you and to the cross. Father, we thank you for what you will do in this place this morning. Father, I pray specifically right now for anyone who might be hearing my voice that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, may this be the days that that ears will be open to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts to receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you be forever glorified in this place. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now the title of this morning's message is a continued look at submission. A continued look at submission. Now if you were here two weeks ago when I preached the, the previous message in this particular sermon series, you know that we talked about it, a submission that day also particularly submission to authorities. And I remember uh, pointing out that morning that submission is required unless, unless you are being asked to do something that would contradict the Word of God. That is when submission would not be required. If somebody is asking you to submit to them and that would be contrary to the Word of God, then submission is no longer required in that particular situation. I also remember saying last time that I do realize that when we hear the topic of submission, many times it just causes people to cringe because it's something that sometimes we don't want to hear a lot about, but it is part of the Christian life. And as we begin to look at this morning's text, we're going to see another area where submission is required, and that is in the marriage relationship. And so I suspect if two weeks ago when you heard submission, if that caused you to cringe, possibly when you see this on the screen right now, it might cause you to cringe even more. But I want you to know something. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to. 
when submission is on display in a marriage between a man and a woman, it actually strengthens the marriage when we look at what God's design for marriage is. Now, as we are thinking about marriage, and this particular text is going to apply to marriage for the next few verses. I was listening to a sermon from um, another pastor one day this week, and he said that he knows a very well-known marriage counselor. And what that guy typically does is that when he is counseling a husband and wife that has come to him for some type of friction in their marriage... What he typically does, he takes out a piece of paper, and I'm going to attempt to do this, and he draws a circle on it. If you can see this, you're going to know without me telling you that I am not an artist, not by any stretch of the imagination. But what this marriage counselor does, he pulls out a piece of paper in front of the husband and wife, and he draws a circle. And then he gives both the man and woman an ink pen, and he says, The following, he says, I want each of you to take your ink pen and on this same circle, I want you to draw for me on there a slice that would represent your part of the issue. And so let's just suppose the husband starts and he thinks, well, you know, there's not much of it my fault, but I do have a little bit of responsibility. So he draws this tiny, tiny little slice of the circle and then the wife she also is willing to admit that I've got a a part of the responsibility in this this pastor said that that marriage counselor in all the years that he had been counseling he had never had an example when he did that that both the man and woman were not willing to admit at least that they had some responsibility in the friction in their marriage. And so with that, he would say, okay, you've taken a slice of this, so now you've got to be nice. You've got to be nice to each other. It causes both of the people to take some ownership, and it allows them to be able to move forward. It allows them to be able to move forward. And I want you to keep in mind today that marriage is indeed a two-way relationship. Both the husband and the wives must fulfill their roles. One person simply cannot do it alone. I often tell people that marriage takes three people. It takes the husband, it takes the wife, and it takes Jesus Christ. I hope that Jesus Christ is on display in your marriages today. Now, as we begin to look at our text this morning, we see that wives are to be subject or they are to be submissive to their husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I want to just say something for a minute this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning and you think that marriage is in your future. You're not married right now, but marriage is in your future. I want to challenge you to find out whether or not your future spouse is a believer. It's important that you know that prior to the marriage. You can probably all think of situations where people, like a believer marries a non-believer, 
with the thought process of, you know, after we get married, I'll get that person in church. After we get married, I'll get them in church. They will give their life to the Lord and then everything will be good. Can I tell you, that's usually not how it happens. Most of the time, the non-believer will influence the believer and that believer gets more and more disconnected to their church. So know, know ahead of time whether or not, whether or not your future spouse is actually a Christian. Now, in verses 1 and 2, we see that wives are to live in such a way that even if their husband does not obey the word, that they may be one without a word just simply by the conduct of their wives. And husbands, I want to tell you something this morning. If you've got a godly wife, you should be praising God each and every day for her. You should be praising God each and every day for her. Now, if the Lord allows Karen and I to live until one week from tomorrow, we are going to be celebrating 30 years of marriage. On September 11th of all days is when our wedding anniversary is. But you know, when I look back on those 30 years, I will say I praise God that He gave me a godly wife. I praise God for her example And I hope you would say the same thing about your wife, husbands, that you've praised God for her, that you've praised God for her example. Now, has each day of our 30 years of marriage been a bed of roses? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And if you are looking inward at your own marriage, you would say the same thing because, let's face it, hardships come. People die that are close to us. Things don't always go the way we had expected. But can I tell you something? God's still good. Would you say amen with me this morning? God is still good. All of the time. He is. So again, husbands, if you have a wife that is a godly wife, praise the Lord for her. Let her know that you praise God for the gift she is to you. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4. And here's the cringe part, I I, I can imagine, coming from some of the women as you read these two verses. So let me just read them out loud one more time, and then I'm going to introduce these two verses for you and to tell you more of the context in which these two verses were written and what they are supposed to say. But here's here's what they physically say. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair. And the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. All right, so here's what I want you to hear. Women, listen to me, please, when I say this. Each morning when your alarm clock goes off, when you manage to put both feet on the floor, when your eyes might be difficult to open because the sleep is still in your eyes, before you ever wash your face, before you ever brush your teeth, before you ever brush your hair, before you ever put on your best clothing or whatever you're going to wear that day, God looks at you and He says this, Hear me, women, when I say this. God looks at you and says, she is very precious 
in my sight. She is very precious in my sight. And men, I'm going to tell you, she should be precious in your sight too. Before she ever does any of those things. If she is very precious in God's sight, she should be very precious in your sight. Don't misunderstand me. I have absolutely nothing against you washing your face. I have absolutely nothing against you doing your hair. I have absolutely nothing against you putting on jewelry. I have nothing against you putting on fine clothes. But I want you to hear, women, that's not where your identity comes from. Your identity does not come from any of those things. Your identity instead comes directly from Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And husbands, I want to challenge you. Let your wife know that she is very precious in your sight. Now, there are many women who have come before us that have actually set the example. Sarah is who is mentioned in these verses that are on the screen right now. And and then that last part of verse 6 says, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, I want to tell you, submission in a marriage relationship should never be the result of intimidation. It should never be the result of that. Nor should submission happen as a result of fear. It should never be that way. So now let's take a look at the husband's. And probably about this point, some of the women are thinking, praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Now we are off of talking about the wives. And probably some of the men are thinking right now, okay, the women got six verses. We only have one. So we must not be quite that bad. Well, that would be an incorrect statement. That would be an incorrect statement. I want to take you back and just remind you to what Paul taught us in the book of Ephesians. How did he tell us that we were to love our wives? Like what? Like Christ loved the church. That's how we are to love our wives, men, like Christ loved the church. Let me ask you a question. How much did Christ love the church? Enough to go to the cross, didn't he? To lay his life down and die. For the church, that's how much that Christ loved the church. That's how much that we are to love our wives. That is how much that we are supposed to love them each and every day. And if we'll do that, man, I'll I'll promise you submission will not be, it will not be an obstacle in your marriage. If we love our wives like Christ instructs us to, submission will never be an issue in our marriages. Now, I want to point out, perhaps some of you have been drawn to this phrase that the women are described as the weaker vessel. But I want to, I want to make sure that you understand that that refers to physical strength only. It does not in any means, it, not as it used to refer to spiritual strength or emotional strength. When weaker vessel is mentioned here, it strictly is referring to physical strength. And we're supposed to honor our wives, men. And look how this verse ends. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Honor your wives. Love your wives. I have often said you can tell a lot about a man by the way he treats his wife, particularly about the way he treats his wife in public. Man, I want to I challenge you one more time before we move off of this section of verses. Do not make your wife wonder whether or not you love her. Do not make your wife wonder whether or not she is precious in your sight. Tell her, tell her often just how precious she is to you. Now, as we, as we look at our remainder of verses this morning, verses 8 through 12, we're going to be taking a look at submission in church relationships. So let's, let's look at verses 8 and 9 to start with. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and an humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now remember, the last time that we were in the sermon series, there was a section of Scripture that that really sounds a lot like this particular section. It was talking about Jesus Christ. And it told us that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But what he did, he was continuing to entrust himself to him who judges justly. That's what we've got to do, people. We've got to do that exact same thing. That's how we've got to live our lives. We need to be displaying unity of mind. We need to be displaying sympathy. We need to display brotherly love. We need to display a tender heart. And we need to display an humble mind. We do not need to ever, no matter what we're talking about, we never need to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, we are to bless because that's what we've been called to do. Now, I don't know how many of you were with us on Wednesday night, but I'm also in a sermon series on Wednesday nights in the book of John. If you weren't here, I want to tell you where we were on Wednesday night. I mean, again, that is chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Where we were on Wednesday night it was God's command to us, Christ's command to us to love like He loves. To love like He loves. Church, that's what we've got to do. If we're a Christian, it is not an option not to love somebody. It is not an option ever not to love somebody. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with all of their actions, but we can't say, I'm not going to love you. We can't say that and call ourselves a Christian at the same time. And perhaps you're thinking, well, what if they don't want to be loved? It doesn't matter. Love anyway. That is what we are called to do. Again, for the Christian, it is simply not an option not to love. What does God's Word say? By this, they will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. Does the world know that we're his disciples? 
If we show them that we have love for one another, they will. Church, I want you to hear this morning. I love you. I love you. I love all of you. All of you. And I sure hope that you know that. I hope that you know that. As we look at verses 10 through 12 this morning. God's Word says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Church and all of our dealings. Yeah, yeah, I've said so many times before, after we leave this building, you know, eyes are watching us. People are watching us to see how we respond. People are watching us to see what we say when we are not in these walls. No matter what the situation is, I want to encourage you always, keep your tongue from evil. Don't let your lips speak deceit. Always turn away from evil and do good. And always seek peace and pursue it. That's what we're called to do as Christians. It's just simply not an option. And you might be saying, so why why not? Well, verse 12 tells us the answer to that. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Church, I I encourage you, don't have anything ever to do with evil. Don't have anything to do with it. Turn and go the other direction. Now this morning as we move toward our invitation, perhaps the, the, the invitation this morning might look a little different than it normally does. Perhaps this morning you realize, you know, I've not treated my spouse like I should have. I haven't. I haven't appreciated my spouse like I should have. If, if, If that's what's going through your mind this morning, change that today. Lay that at the foot of the cross. Make the commitment that from this day forward, things are going to be different, that you are going to truly appreciate your spouse, that you are going to honor your spouse. Maybe there are one of the spouses here this morning that thinks, you know, I haven't been submissive like I should. That can change today, too. And, you know, perhaps this morning you're also thinking as we move out of the marriage relationship, Maybe I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. You can start that today, too. You can start that today, too. Remember, not loving, if you're a Christian, not loving others is just simply not an option. Maybe today that you need to just make the commitment, you know what, from this day forward, I am going to love like Jesus loves. That's what he tells me to do, and I'm going to do it. Maybe you need to make that commitment today. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, you can fix that today too. 
If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I will tell you, as I say so many times, there would be no finer day to make that decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Life is uncertain, but eternity is for real. Eternity is so certain, and you can know where you're going to spend your eternity. Perhaps you're here this morning, and you thought, you know, I really I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I don't know how. As you've heard me say so many times before, it's not hard. There is not a perfect prayer to pray. It involves the ABCs of salvation. We've got to be willing to admit that we're a sinner, that there are things in our life that separate us from Jesus Christ. We've got to to admit that. We've got to take ownership of that. We've got to draw our slice in the circle, just like that marriage counselor asked the couple to do. We've got to truly be sorry for that and ask Jesus to forgive us of that. We've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that every word that the Bible says is true. That Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to die on that cross for us. We've got to believe that. We've also got to believe that he physically died, that he was buried and he rose from the grave three days later. And that's why we celebrate Easter. The C involves confessing. And that involves repenting and turning. We've got to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? And let me tell you something, if you ask him to do that, he will do it. He will do it. And then we've got to be willing to turn from that sin and follow him. We've got to be willing to do that. So if if you've got questions about how do I become a Christian, I encourage you to come forward. Let us pray with you. Whatever decision that you need to make today, I pray that you will. Let's use this altar, as I have said so many times before. Let's use it so much that we wear the carpet out on it and have to replace it. We could do that. Let's use this altar. If you're carrying a burden, I encourage you, come lay it at the foot of the cross. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Father, thank you for your, your Holy Spirit, your presence that is here with us today. Lord, I pray that you will move uh, in and through this place today. Lord, I pray that you will do the exceedingly more today than our minds can even think or imagine. Lord, I pray that you will be glorified in our lives forever. Lord, I pray, I pray that we will, as that song said, I pray that we will sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. I pray that we will sing that each and every day of our life. And I pray that we will sing it out of the overflow of what you have done in our lives. Lord, I pray that when the world sees us, that they will see that we have love for one another. I pray that they will know that we were Christians because we love each other like that. Lord, I just pray today that that souls will be saved that relationships will be restored. But I pray most of all that you will be magnified, glorified, and exalted in this place until the day that you return. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.